Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Brought to you today by Ritual Multivitamins and my pillow. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, we're not going to get a lot of these, so we are going to enjoy this one a lot, although it's not official yet. But uh, in looking at the numbers, it's looking less and less likely, in fact, highly unlikely, that near Tandon, the liberal bomb thrower, will end up as the director of the Office of Management and Budget. A couple of days ago, Joe Manchin said he was going to oppose the nomination. And in a 50-50 Senate, the only way you can get to a tie for Kamala Harris to break it is for one Republican to support the nomination. Susan Collins is now a no. Mitt Romney is also a no. So unless they can get Lisa Murkowski, I'm not sure where else they go for this, Jim. And there's a lot of people we don't want to get confirmed probably. But uh, Neera Tandon is uh, either at or very near the top of the list. Yeah. Now, obviously, the the ominous music for Neera Tandon began late last week when Joe Manchin said that he could not support her. Uh, That is – it was not enormously shocking, but she had gone through the – confirmation hearing and said all the right things. Oh, Senator, I'm so sorry I said that you were the worst person ever. (laughs) I did not mean it as a personal attack when I said that when I compared you and the various body parts of various animals, you know. Um, And, you know, I I never meant for my uh, rhetoric to be incendiary or hateful and any, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when you've insulted half the Senate, it's very tough to get support from more than half the Senate. And Manchin then turned it into, okay, well, you got one, if the Republicans hold together and you got one, at least one Democrat voting no, you're going to have 51 no's. And it doesn't matter what Kamala Harris is doing that day. It's a 51-49 rejection of it. And then the question turned to, could there be a Republican out there who would um, flip and, and decide to support Neera Tandon, who she, there's an excellent chance that she had personally insulted <laughs> all of the potential Republican senators out there. Um, and it was the thing that kind of struck me the weirdest Greg, is that you know, this morning in the Politico Playbook newsletter, they float this theory that either Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski would rush to the aid of Neera Tandon. We already know, but since this has been printed, Romney's come out and said, no, I'm not doing it. But the idea would be that, well, by having Manchin reject it, Manchin is effectively the kingmaker. He's the most influential senator in the middle um, and that he's you know the real guy who decides what gets done in Washington. But if you're Lisa Murkowski or you're Mitt Romney, you could vote yes on Tandon. You could decide what gets done in Washington. And the only flaw in that theory is that what Republican wants near a Tandon to run the Office of Management and Budget? <laughs> I suppose if you really wanted to undermine the Biden administration and put somebody who is a walking HR disaster in the job, okay, fine. I guess you could go for that. But, you know, the way I put it is, you know, not so tongue in cheek thinking about the Jets and the second overall pick in this year's draft. If somebody wants to make a trade with me, if the Biden administration says, what do you want in exchange for voting to support the nomination of Neera Tandon? And they're effectively handing me a blank check. If, if anything's on the table, okay, well, now now we got to, you know, now we're talking. I'm willing to then consider it in that scenario. But it's got to be something really sweet. Because if you're Lisa Murkowski, you wouldn't just be the Republican senator from uh, Alaska who, you know, voted to uh, convict the president. You would also be the Republican senator who voted to convict the president and put a bonkers Hillary Clinton apparatchik with a thick file of HR issues in charge of OMB. And like, 
you know, if you're a Republican, you just don't want the grief and aggravation that would come with that unless there's some sort of enormous deal sweetener that the Biden administration is willing to make on some other issue uh, for you or for your home state. I, I, I've seen nothing to indicate that an issue exists big enough to make it worthwhile uh, for that. So I don't think it's going to happen. I think it will go down. The idea that something was floated to me on a mailing list, Greg, if the Biden administration said we will withdraw Javier Becerra for HHS, if you vote yes for Neera Tandon, that's the kind of deal I might consider. You know, I'll, t- I'll take the one who's a disaster for you guys in exchange for getting rid of the guy who's a disaster for us. Well, as long as it's not the uh, deputy nominee for HHS who gets the bump up to the full secretary, <laughs> yeah. uh, the secretary from Pennsylvania has been such a disaster. But I mean, I don't know about every administration, but it's pretty common for one of the nominees not to make it. You think of John Tower for George H.W. Bush, and boy, did that set off a chain of events that uh, <laughs> that changed American politics yeah. with Dick Cheney moving into the Pentagon. Lonnie Guineer uh, did not become attorney general. That's how he got Janet Reno. Uh, Linda Chavez didn't get there for labor for George W. Bush. Tom Daschle for Barack Obama. I uh, can't remember exactly whether anybody for Trump didn't. It was, it was Daschle and Bill Richardson, too, for commerce, right? And that's, you know, Secretary of Commerce is usually seen as the easiest slam dunk cabinet post. And it was such a long stretch there for the Obama administration. You thought some old gypsy woman had put a curse on the job. <laughs> they kept having one pointy after another fall. You know, oh, oh, terrible nanny scandal. Oh, oh, he was working as a lobbyist. Oh, you know. Yes, yes. Well, it turns out you do need to pay your taxes, unless you're Tim Geithner. But that's a long story that we made a lot of fun of many, many years ago. You only get one cabinet secretary who's allowed to not pay taxes. You really can't have two. Like you said, Jim, Neera Tandon said technically all the right things in her confirmation hearing, but it's obvious from her long track record and even her demeanor at that point that uh, her attitude really is, yeah, I meant these until I got nominated for this and I needed your votes. And regardless of how this vote turns out, I'll probably mean them again once the vote is over. So hopefully uh, this nomination goes down, but uh, we'll find out soon. It's not over yet, but it's looking good. Speaking of looking good, right now, boosting your immune system, boosting your overall health, lots of good reasons to do that, and ritual multivitamins can help. But do you really know what's in your multivitamin? You could have sugars, GMOs, synthetic fillers animal byproducts. It could be a total mess, but Ritual isn't your typical multivitamin. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly formula is made with key nutrients and forms that your body can actually use with no shady extras. I've been taking uh, Ritual. Just got my uh, latest bottle a couple of days ago. Uh, It comes in a capsule. Uh, It's easy to take. It's got a minty flavor to it, and it's got a lot of different things in there from vitamin B, vitamin D, even some zinc, which is always good for the immune system. And so if you're looking for uh, an easy way uh, that you can trust to boost your immune system, Ritual's the way to go. Ritual is the multivitamin reimagined. Ritual is formulated with key nutrients, including vitamin D3, to help fill gaps in your diet. Their fresh-tasting delayed-release capsules are designed to dissolve later in less sensitive areas of the stomach, so you can take them with or without food. And Ritual is made traceable, which means you'll always know where your nutrients come from, thanks to Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering three martini lunch listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash martini to start your ritual today. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. 
the backdrop of this is actually more good news. I believe we referenced this last week that even Joe Biden is telling mayors and other people around the country that he doesn't think the $15 minimum wage is going to make it in the final version of COVID relief. The Senate parliamentarian would probably strike it down. And even if uh, the parliamentarian didn't, uh, Kirsten Cinema is opposed to it, which means, once again, you would need a Republican to go along with it. And uh, that doesn't seem super likely, but uh, officially the fight goes on. And so the issue came up on CNN's State of the Union with new co-host Abby Phillips. Uh, she was speaking with California Congressman Ro Khanna, and she says, I can see how you would expect huge corporations like Amazon or McDonald's to be able to afford to pay folks more than a minimum wage. But what about the smaller uh, businesses? Some of them are really struggling right now. Uh, what do you think? Rokana, not a good answer. Well, they shouldn't be doing it by paying people low wages. We don't want uh, low wage businesses. I think most successful small businesses can pay a fair wage. If you look at the minimum wage, it increased with worker productivity until 1968. And that relationship was severed. If workers were actually getting paid for the value they were creating, it would be up to $23. So I love small businesses. I'm all for it. But I don't want small businesses that are underpaying employees. It's fair for people to be making what they're producing. And I think $15 is very reasonable in this country. Jim, uh, he's right about you shouldn't be being paid what your value is. But when you artificially put a floor on that, then a lot of people aren't going to be being paid what their value is. And to just set that arbitrarily at $15, And for nationwide, when there are very different levels of uh, income and standards of living in different states and communities around the country, the minimum wage in and of itself is a terrible idea. But uh, to jack it up to 15, and now he's talking 23, a little bit heartless, you might say, to small businesses that have been uh, scrambling to stay afloat for the past year. Yeah. First of all, I don't want to hear anybody saying, you, you can't say in the beginning part of your answer, we don't want those businesses. Right. First of all, you're, you're a member of Congress. It's not your job to decide what kind of businesses are allowed in America. Nobody gave you the power to say, no, I don't like you having that kind of business. This is the kind of a thing where you have people trying to chase Chick-fil-A out of neighborhoods because they've decided they don't like the company's values. Look, they're selling chicken sandwiches, right? You're, nobody, nobody made you king. Nobody made you dictator or anything like that. But in the end, you can't say, I love small businesses and then turn around and call them low-wage businesses. So here's the thing. Paying somebody minimum wage, which is currently seven twenty-five an hour, right? Sounds it's been that right. since two thousand nine, raised under the previous Obama administration, right? That is the law. It is perfectly legal to pay someone seven twenty-five an hour. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything bad. If you know, if if, if here's the thing: every worker who's in those you know seven dollar twenty-five cent an hour type jobs. They're free to go and find a better paying job. It's a lot tougher with this pandemic going on. It's a lot tougher with all the small businesses that have had to close. It's a lot tougher when the state has imposed uh, usage restrictions on a bar or a restaurant or the number of people who can be in your store at any one time. This is a really tough time for small businesses. So the idea of, hey, we the government, we the federal government, we're not going to take into account uh, local business conditions. We're not going to take into account statewide business conditions. I've always supported, if if state wants to raise it, let that state do it. Let them do it based on their economic conditions. Do they have a surplus of labor or do they have a shortage of labor? You're going to want to raise the wage when the labor supply is short, not when it's, you know, when it's already high, not when unemployment is already high. Right here on the back page of the Wall Street Journal today, in honor of Rush, you're going to hear me (laughs) rattling my papers here. But it's in giant print. It says, it's time to raise the federal minimum wage. Actually, it's pastime, and it's a sponsored by Amazon. It's a full-page ad. 
Now, if you're Rokahana or even any supporter out there of raising the minimum wage, why do you think Amazon, one of the biggest companies in America, really the world, why do you think they would be so eager to raise the minimum federal minimum wage? Do you think it's because they're just such nice guys? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> do you think it's because Jeff Bezos had so much money? He said, hey, let's do a full page ad in one of my uh, in a competing newspaper. Or is it that Amazon you know, has the margins to, to easily absorb that kind of cost? Whereas the mom and pop doesn't have the margin to absorb that kind of cost. The you know, big federal regulations that increase the cost of labor are very easy to manage for big corporations. They're very hard to manage for small businesses. So I'm sure Rokahana likes to think of himself as being on the side of the little guy and standing up for the defenseless and all that kind of stuff. But right now he is doing exactly what the biggest and most powerful corporations in America want because they can handle raising the increase the minimum wage. Smaller companies can't. But this stuff, you know, it's, this all gets done to the context of I care and you guys don't. And nobody ever wants to think very hard about what the long-term ramifications of a move like this could be. Whoever runs against Ro Khanna in a primary or a general election, I hope you recorded that because the idea of we don't want your small business if you don't pay people what I think you should pay them, even though I have no idea what the details of your business are. Uh, Send that to every small business in Ro Khanna's district to see how it shakes out. Exactly. Yeah, that, that should absolutely be viral. That is unbelievable. But the left has shown you over the past year, Jim, what they value and what they don't. Getting kids back in school, saving small businesses. Yeah. All right. Rokana, how do you sleep at night? Oh, well, maybe he gets my pillow. I've been a my pillow customer even before they sent me a ton of free stuff to try out as a result of this new sponsorship, uh, and I've loved their pillow. I've had some neck issues over the years, and uh, my pillow has definitely been the best pillow I've had. And now they've sent me a bunch of towels and a mattress topper and a bathrobe, some of which I haven't had a chance to try out yet. But that leads us to tell you that my pillow is not just fantastic pillows. Now my pillow has given the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. And their current offer is to buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and their Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They are soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable and dryable. Because you want a, t- a towel to be dryable. And they have seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. Sateen Weave gives them a luxurious finish and will have you sleeping like a dream. It has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Washable and dryable to stay healthy in a wide variety of colors and sizes to fit any personal style and bed. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets. Buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code Martini at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code Martini, or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheets. All right, Jim, speaking of kids not being in school, although that's a debate that's happening in a lot of different places now, what about masks once everybody who wants the vaccine gets it? And the question is, how long do you still have to wear the masks? And the answer is, we're not really sure yet. Uh, Tony Fauci and others giving very vague answers, first of all, chalking it up to the fact that the CDC hasn't gotten that far in its guidance yet, but also Dr. Fauci essentially saying, well, we're pretty sure that it's going to uh, 
make the COVID far less virulent if you have the vaccine. In fact, there's a, a chance you'll barely have the sniffles if you feel anything at all. But we don't know about transmissibility yet, so we're going to have to keep wearing the mask. Biden has said into 2022. I think Fauci said the same thing. And so, Jim, this goes back to what we're almost celebrating, well, celebrating, marking the one-year anniversary soon of 15 days to flatten the curve which was initially designed with all these mitigating factors to keep the hospital capacity at a healthy level so uh, they didn't get overwhelmed. We've seen a pretty dramatic drop since the post-Christmas rush, 77%, I think uh, an expert at Johns Hopkins said. And uh, we're still hearing that even if everybody who wants the vaccine gets it and uh, your chances of having a pretty mild case are going to rise dramatically, uh, you're still going to be in this protocol for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I hope it's this way. Right now, we have our, our, our health experts, and I'm not necessarily making air quotes as I say that, but let's just say I think you know, some scientists don't necessarily think about this from the point of view of someone who really understands society, um, is the kind of people who say, like, once you get the vaccine, you really can't change that much. You have to continue social distancing. You have to continue wearing masks. You can't get together in crowds. You can't live your life any differently than you were before the vaccine. And then in the next breath, it's like, why are people so reluctant to get the vaccine? How could this possibly be? Why is there no enthusiasm to get this thing? Because vaccines are so important, even though they won't actually change anything. Well, here's the thing. Based on the science, based on the very best sense that we know, that it, you know, one, it makes the chances of you getting hospitalized, the chance of you dying dramatically different. We're talking about high 90-some percent chance you won't even get it, or if you get it, it'll be asymptomatic. Or if you get it and you're symptomatic, your symptoms will be much less bad than they would have been otherwise, right? So full stop, the position of the Three Martini Lunch podcast is that when you have the opportunity, go out and get those vaccines and don't forget about the second one if you're getting one that needs two doses. Now, do you still need to wear a mask? The people who are vaccinated, we are, the chances of transmissibility, there's a study out there that says, it, uh, I think at least for, the, for one of the vaccines, it reduces transmissibility by something like 80 to 90%. That's pretty darn good. It's not quite 100% which means there's still that, let's say, 10% chance that you could get the, the virus without knowing it. And if you're not wearing a mask, you walk around and you could end up accidentally spreading it to somebody else. And depending on who that other person is, that could be you know, relatively inconsequential. If it's a healthy person who's you know, middle-aged or younger, they're probably not even going to notice that they've got it. If they are elderly or they're immunocompromised or something like that and they haven't been vaccinated yet, well, then maybe they could have some serious health issues. The other thing is also we're going to reach the point where certain people are walking around with vaccines. They've got their cards. They got both stamps on it. Uh, It's not quite like the coffee cards where if you get six, you get a free coffee cup or something like that. Uh, But you you only need two. You don't need to to keep going around and get more and more of them. If you have two vaccines, we could have conceivably vaccinated people who medically can do whatever the heck they want. But other folks who haven't had a chance to get the vaccine and a whole bunch of people still have long waiting lists. They still have... uh, if you are a healthy person who's not elderly, you're still looking at probably you know, late March if you're lucky. It's more likely to be April, May, somewhere in that window before you get your chance to get vaccinated. And there's real worry about having a society where it's like, okay, vaccinated people, you can go to the bars. You can do these things. You can gather in crowds. Hey, you want to go to concerts or sporting events? Go right ahead. But no, if you're not vaccinated, no, you can't do that. For obvious reasons, people understand that that's the sort of thing that leads to Uh, a great deal of widespread public disgruntlement. If you tell people you're not allowed to enjoy certain of your usual rights that you were used to before the pandemic, you're not allowed to have it until you're vaccinated, but we, the government, have decided you're not enough of a priority to get vaccinated yet. 
So it's probably going to make sense for us to wear masks well into this vaccination period, where I think things are going to change dramatically, Greg. I don't know which day this is going to come, but it's not enormously far away. We are almost done with February, right? So you get into this in March, you get into this in April. Biden set the, uh, first he said 100 shots in 100 days, and I think they're going to clear that easily. I think they're in the the high 40-something now, and they've only been in office for a month. Um, I think you're going to, they'll probably come pretty close to that 150 million shots in the first hundred days. We're going to be in a very different place in the, regarding this pandemic in May and in June, maybe even by the end of April. So the question is then going to be how much of back to normal life can we go? The day that anybody who wants a vaccine can get one with no weight, I think in the terms of our, whether or not the health experts agree, I think that's going to be the change day. The, the attitude is going to be, okay, if you're not vaccinated yet, it's because you don't want to get vaccinated yet. Because there's been this massive effort. They've involved the CVSs. They've involved the Walgreens. They've been doing them at sports stadiums. Uh, they've been doing them at hospitals. But we're almost done with all the, all the hospital staff. And we're almost done with all the uh, nursing home and long-term care facilities, patients and staff. I'm sure there are probably a handful here and there you can find, but CVS and Walgreens say first shots gotten out to everybody at those places. And they're like on certain medical facilities, they're like high 90 some percent, right? So we, we've done, we have now hit almost all the people who you'd think would be the highest priority, most vulnerable. On paper, we could start changing our behavior a little bit now. We have, you know, the, the death rate is down. The daily caseload is down. Weather's getting a little bit warmer. People spending more time outside, although not around here lately because of how icy and snowy it is. But the point is that you're, you're, we're, we're reaching that point where we're going to have to loosen those reins. And there are certain people who I do think, um, I would call them Karen, but I've heard from so many nice Karens over this period that I, I now feel bad about that name. Uh, but the people who have really enjoyed the control, people who have really enjoyed the authority and the power and the ability to wag their finger at people and to say, you're not doing the right thing and no, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, schools in the authenticity woods, neck of the woods are reopening, which is great. I understand the playground equipment is still going to be closed. They're going to let the kids run around, but they don't want them touching the, the playground stuff. Surface transmission is almost nil these days. And that's assuming any of the kids come in with it. And, you know, the local case rates are, are down dramatically. It's extraordinarily frustrating that the people are trying to say to people, go out and get vaccinated. But at the same time, they're turning around and saying, but vaccination doesn't really change the quality of your daily life. It is, you know, they, they need to wise up. They need to stop thinking that they're dealing with a population of robots who will just obediently do whatever they're told and look at the way life is actually lived for human beings. And oh, by the way, a, you know, 320 million human beings in the United States who have spent a year putting their life on hold and who are eager to get back out and start going to baseball games and go to concerts and have family reunions and... Uh, have the big parties that they're used to and go back into restaurants and bars and all that kind of stuff. The point of this is to get back to normal life. So, you know, this whole idea of double masking into 2022, guys, guys, you, you listen to yourself, recognize that you can get people vaccinated and get everybody doing it, or you can tell people to continue their lives as is, but you can't tell them to do both. Right. But if a crisis can never be left to go to waste, the longer the crisis goes, the more you can do, Jim. Greg, I think everyone completely misheard Rahm Emanuel when he said that at the beginning of the Obama administration, because everybody thought he said, never let a crisis go to waste, but I'm pretty sure it was never solve a crisis. (laughs) That seems to be the way it works in Washington. Absolutely. It's almost like the science has been politicized. Hard to believe. Not really. Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. (laughs) 
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks again for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also remember to get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.